So tonight, uh, how does that sound? What do you think? It's okay? How is it? All right, how's the sound? That's what we can do anyway. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, so tonight I want to talk about the, the third of the three characteristics. If you thought I was going to talk about thanksgiving and gratitude, forget it. I'm not. I'm talking about anatta. <laughs> uh, really more about investigating, investigating this idea of self, this sense of self. <clears throat> so maybe if you think about this as like a, a little fireside chat, not some big philosophical uh, disquisition. And I think, um, as I said, with the other two uh, characteristics of existence, anicca, impermanence, and <clears throat> dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, the same with anatta, it's not that it's some uh, different reality that we need to achieve. It's just uh, a description of how things actually are and our confusion comes about through our recognizing wrongly, recognizing inaccurately. <clears throat> I'm sure those of you who were here remember when I talked about the inverted perceptions, that we see things opposite from how they are. And I think with anatta, that's in, in my personal experience, and mostly I'm just talking um, from personal experience, not this is how it is, but hopefully just to get you a little interested to keep exploring. With this sense of not self, it's not so much that it's a philosophical concept that we need to understand and discuss and remember and debate. Basically, that doesn't really get us very far. But it's a sense of seeing, I think with anatta more than the other two, that the, the sense, and we do have a very real sense, right, of me here now. It's not like we don't feel that. We feel it. it. Yeah, it seems really true. And because it's not investigated, we just assume it's true. And it's a basic misperception that's so frequent and familiar and uh, cozy, kind of comfortable in a twisted way, that we just keep on believing that. So in that way, the, the whole sense of recognizing not self. When I first start, whenever we first start talking about it, as I put out what I said is not, the Buddha didn't seem to teach to, for us to memorize more philosophical concepts. And uh, at his, the time that he was teaching in India, there were clearly tons of, okay, lots of, maybe not tons, but lots of uh, wanderers and ascetics with all different points of view and different spiritual backgrounds. And they really went around debating each other quite a bit. I mean, very kind of philosophical. And the Buddha was really not teaching to add another you know, line to the debate. And there were even times when people would come to him. I mean, he taught about not self. You know, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. But if we just take that up as a philosophical view, as one of my teachers said, people go around saying, this is not me. This is not myself. But it's they saying, this is not myself. You know, they're just throwing it in as another line. Oh, I know this, th this thought is not me. I know this thought is not me. 
and don't really look carefully. So the Buddha really wasn't teaching uh, to try and get us to have another philosophical concept. And there's even suttas where some of these wanderers would come and ask him. And even though he taught very clearly over and over about not self, you know, that no uh, of the sense experiences, no aspect of nama rupa can be thought of as me or mine. There's suttas where wanderers come. There's one in particular who shows up a lot named Vajagata. He always shows up and walks away shaking his head and looking confused. So just so you know, not everyone who met the Buddha got it. Plenty of people would walk away going, okay, if you say so, and they'd, they'd go off. And one time this Vajagata came and said to the Buddha, is there a self? And the Buddha would remain silent. And they say, is there not self? And the Buddha would remain silent. So then he went away dissatisfied and confused. And Ananda said, so why didn't you answer him? You know? And the Buddha said, well, if I said that there was a self, I would be siding with all the people who go around who are eternalists, you know, and, because that's the background he comes from. And that wouldn't be helpful. But if I said there's no self, then I would be taking the side of what he would think of as the annihilationists. You know, this self of mine is going to be destroyed. And that would also not be true. And then he said, just on the personal level, if I said to him, there is a self, he said to Ananda, would that be commensurate with what I've always taught and what I've known, that no aspect of nama rupa can be considered as self? And Ananda said, no, that, that wouldn't be true. And the Buddha said, but if I said to him, there is not self, then he, he wouldn't understand it. He would think, he'd go away thinking, oh, so it seems this self of mine must come to an end. And he would be even more confused. So we just didn't tell him anything. So just to show that it's a confusing topic. And in talking about it, the, I find the more, the more one tends to think about it for most people, not very helpful. Just not helpful. We can't think our way into this because it's, an, it's a, a misperception. And so what helps clarify the perception? Just what we've talked about all the time, the steadiness of mindfulness when the mind, the chitta, the consciousness in a moment isn't clouded by wanting, isn't clouded by aversion, isn't clouded by confusion. Of course, the catch-22 is, of course, the sense of self is a manifestation of confusing and confusion and clinging. But still, we can begin to observe that itself rather than just stopping looking. When there's sense of self, how do I get rid of it? So when we begin talking about this again, often besides trying to think your way through it, then some people uh, go into, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for the big blowout experience of anatta, of no self. Finally, like that last way he said Vajagata would think, finally this self of mine will be completely destroyed. And I won't have to deal with all this craziness anymore. And I'm waiting for that. So now there's self. But when anatta really comes, or I get there, or whatever way the mind says it, then there won't be self. So you get that sense of positing something that we're waiting for it to go away. And we're waiting for the big bang for it to happen, too. So I want to say, for most people, forget about it. 
Quit waiting for the Big Bang. Quit waiting for what's here now to go away. And turn around and see what's actually true. That's, again, what I said before, what I love about the Buddhist teaching. Liberation comes not from getting rid of something, but from seeing how things are arising in this moment accurately. Accurately. If we're afraid of our sense of self, if we hate it when ego arises, well, then we're not going to be able to recognize it accurately, are we? We're already in contention with it. But we can just begin to explore it the same as any other arising experience, because that's all it is another arising experience. So it's neither annihilation, getting rid of something, everything just becomes a dull grayness. If there's no me, who you know decides what to eat for lunch? All those questions, when we take questions the next morning after an anatta, well, if there's no me, you know, who decided to come to this retreat and all that kind of stuff? If there's no me, how am I going to function in the world? And see, all of that comes from the thought there is a me that has to go away. But this is the thing. There is no solid self now, before, tomorrow, or ever. There's nothing to lose but confusion. You know, There's nothing to be afraid of. Not that we're in control of whether we're afraid, because we're not in control of anything. Upandita said once to me in an interview, I forget. I don't know. Obviously, something was going on I didn't like, or I was afraid. He said, he said well, are you making that happen? I said, well, no, I can't make it happen. He said, that's right. It's out of control. That's anatta, out of control. I thought, oh, that's a, that's a kind of a nice, dis- that's a nice definition. I like that quite a bit, because the sense of control is always about some me, you know, the little, the little person in the head. Like, did you ever see Men in Black? I don't know this is coming in my mind, where there's this like little being, little alien inside somebody's head that's running, running the body. And I thought, yeah, that's really so much what it feels like, you know, just in here pulling all, I'm the one gonna. Well, there's no one in there doing that. So really, it's the sense of, of misperception of not recognizing accurately. It's like there's a, I think it's a sutta somewhere. Well, anyway, where the Buddha compares uh, the way consciousness works to a magic show. And when we don't see how the magic is done, you know, like he's talking about someone on the side of the road performing magic or puppets, and when we don't see how it's done, it's fascinating, it's amazing, you know. And then when you see behind the scenes how the magic is done, it loses. It, can't, it isn't magic anymore. It loses the mystery. And the way that, you know, our thoughts and emotions and associations uh, and clinging, and I'll talk about how in a minute, all come together around any particular moment of consciousness, of sense door contact and awareness of, the way that all comes together and creates this seemingly really real, palpable, and somehow to us unchanging sense of self is just like that. It's like a magic show. And it seems so solid only because we don't really look. We don't let that arise into uh, a space of awareness like anything else. Ramana Maharshi. The idea of self, where he used the word ego, 
I'm not using ego just because that brings us into psychological terminology where, you know, the sense of an ego structure as a way to a conventional reality is very useful. So I don't want to use that just to confuse things. But the sense of self, the idea of self, is like a ghost caused by the play of shadows. Look closely and the ghost vanishes. The ghost was never there. So also with this sense of solid self. So long as one does not look closely at it, it continues to give trouble. But when one looks for it, it is found not to exist. So it should be so simple, shouldn't it? Why it's so complicated, I don't really know. But that is really the key. It seems to exist because not investigated. Investigated really with a sense of mindfulness with with Dhamma Vichaya, one of the seven factors of enlightenment, investigation interest, not investigated with fear or greed or trying to make experience match some philosophical concept. But really when the sense of self is there, turn around and notice. Just bring your awareness to it the same way you would a sound or a sight. Because for sure, I mean, I do, and I don't think I'm the only one, the sense of me, self, is a palpable experience that arises, oh, say 10 million times a day, right? And it often, we know there's a sense of me or of me watching or me hearing or me thinking, right? Or else it's my pain or my thought. But often that, that felt sense of me, we're sort of aware of it. We have sort of mindfulness with it. You're really aware of it. But we tend not to turn around and actually notice sense of me is like this. And feel or notice in this moment what, I mean, don't bring in the thoughts, but bring in this quality of interest, of attention. What am I calling sense of me? And for me, it could be just a little physical feeling at that moment. Another time, it might be an image. Another time, it might be like a sense of, as an image like of looking out through eyes. That's just another image. It could be all kinds of things. And the thing to notice is this sense of self, whatever you're, however you're experiencing it, we assume, without looking, we just assume, well, here it is, how am I going to get rid of it? Here's the ego again causing, you know, we just assume it's some solid thing. Instead of turning around and notice as it arises, notice as it passes. But often right here is where our awareness snaps shut, where our perception is inaccurate. So here our practice is first to just become aware. Sense of self is here right now. In whatever way, there can be different ways. And then just to keep on being aware, being mindful of that, just the same as you would of anything else. Anything else. Keep on looking. Because what keeps the magic show going is lack of attention. And lack of attention leads to inaccurate misperception. So again, it's not that something that's here has to go away, 
but we recognize in a different way. Conventional and ultimate reality both still here. It's not like we stopped existing, you know. You know the the example I often use, I use something similar in another talk, but for the perception, the accurate perception, those, um, I don't know if it's so popular anymore, but a few years ago, they had all these um, posters and books of something, I, th I think they called it Magic Eye, and they would, uh, each would be a page of, um, would just be, be symbols of different colors, maybe red and red and yellow, and if you looked at it, it didn't have any picture of anything. It was just geometrical shapes all blended together. And they'd have a whole book of these different ones. And if you just looked at it just flat out like that without looking very carefully, without a lot of attention, that's all you saw. But what was magic, so-called magic about them, is if you looked in the right way, which was sort of steady, but not focusing, looking for something, but relaxed and present and steady, your perception would kind of shift, you know? And suddenly in that, um, just symbols, just, just shapes, would suddenly jump out what looked like a three-dimensional picture of something, you know? Maybe of a spaceship, or maybe of an elephant, or maybe of two hockey players, or whatever. I mean, whatever it was was usually pretty mundane, not that interesting, but it's, it was always fascinating for people to see how this flat, just bunch of colors, suddenly within it, you'd see really looks so real, a three-dimensional um, representation of people or animals, you know. And then if you kind of looked away or stopped that steady, relaxed focus, that would go away again and it would just be the flat. So you couldn't say that that representation of the hockey players wasn't there. As far as we can tell, it's there all the time, right? But you don't perceive it all the time. Some people could never perceive it. They just never got the knack of how to look right. They, they, you'd, you'd tell them, well, there's these hockey players in there. And they go, well, I can't see it, I can't see it, I can't see it. You know? And the harder they try, the less likely they're looking for the hockey players and everything just gets tight. But even when you know, sometimes you're looking in a certain way you see it, other times not. It's just the flatness. So both ways of perceiving are available in that particular experience. So to me, it's a, a little bit analogous to what it's been like in my experience with the sense, sense of self, with identification or non-identification. I'll say in a later minute what I think about, I, what I mean by identification, because that's a word we throw around, you know. I'm identified with that. Well, what the heck do you really mean when you say I'm identified with that? You know, it's something that is really easy to say, but what's the actual moment-to-moment -moment experience. What are you really experiencing when you say, I'm identified with that? So it's, both pieces are there. That's been my experience, that the sense of experience coming and going, including sense of self, and it's just what it is, coming and going. And then other times, it's the same experience, but the perception has shifted. And somewhere there's that sense of ownership or beingship, and everything's a lot stickier, isn't it? It really does start to be a problem. Or you think it's really fantastic. It's not a problem, and then that goes away, and then it's a problem. But it just, in one way, it's just so simple. 
stuff's just happening and the things, same things are happening and you function just as well as ever, frankly, better. Uh, and then it just switches and it's me, it's mine, it's rough, it's, ugh, it's not, you're back with that dukkha axle hole grinding against the cart. It's not that there was no self and now there is a self, it's just not recognizing accurately. And then how do we respond? Back to that moment of perception, how uh, an experience is perceived, how it's named, how it's labeled, that colors how we think about it, how we view it, and then that becomes our description, our view that describes and defines our world without even recognizing that's what's happening. This is really what happens in terms of um, our whole sense of personality view, which is one aspect of sense of self. It's not the only uh, sense of self. There's a more subtle sense of self, too. But this sense of perception and then how we label it leads to how we think about things, leads to our emotions, leads to our actions, leads to a deeper and deeper story about ourself. Have you ever noticed that? And it can be just in regard to anything, anything, you know? You can just, uh, I don't know, walk outside and it feels cold. And it can just be coldness. It can just be unpleasant or pleasant, whatever you think about cold. But you can also walk outside, oh, it's cold. Oh, it's November. Why is it so cold? I didn't bring the right clothes. I never bring the right clothes. And I have this particular physical condition that really can't be good for me to be here. And then all the memories and all the pets. And look at those other people. They have the right coats. How come I never do bring the right thing? What's the matter with me anyway? This is mundane. But how many times a day might we do that? And it goes just from it's cold and not so pleasant to the whole story of our life, seemingly the whole story of our life. Five minutes later, it could be a completely different story of your life. You know, walk in, wow, look at that nice lunch. And here it is Thanksgiving. God knows what you guys went through about Thanksgiving being it's a big family holiday. It, it's, a, it's a day that can often just trigger a lot of thinking about stuff. And now you're sitting there thinking, I didn't think anything. What's the matter with me? You know, I'm not a good family person. I mean, it's, it's hopeless if you're going to take all this seriously. But this is the sense of concocting, concocting a whole story, not just the sense of self, that's just a little clinging, but the whole personality view, the whole story of self. This is from Ajahn Sumedho. So Sakaya Ditti is a whole personality view, which is a sense of self, but also a, a, bit, a bit more um, elaborated than the more subtle senses of self that come all the time. Ajahn Sumedho said, so then the self arises. So the cold, the food, the whatever. I start thinking about myself, my feelings, my memories, my past, my fears, my desires. And the whole world arises around Ajahn Sumedho. It takes off into orbit. My views, my feelings, and my opinions. I can get caught into that world, that view of me that arises in consciousness. And that's a view based on perception, based on thoughts that turns into a view that arises in consciousness. But if I know that, 
then my refuge is no longer in being a person. I'm not taking refuge in being a personality or my views and opinions. Then when I let go, so the world of Ajahn Sumedho ends. So just notice how many times in a day the world of whoever we are arises based on anything. And rather than hating it, explore it just like that. See how it arises. See what makes it. See what that sense of self. And notice how it ends when we take refuge in awareness. He says, um, it doesn't mean Ajahn Sumedho dies and the world ends or that I'm unconscious. In Buddha Dhamma, the world is the world that we create in consciousness. That's why we can be living in different worlds. Have you ever noticed that? It's like we're all living in our own little world. The world of Ajahn Sumedho is not going to be the same as the world you create. But that world arises and ceases. And that which is aware of the world arising and ceasing transcends the world. Our refuge then is in this awareness rather than in trying to sustain refined experiences in consciousness as our refuge, because you can't do it. So trusting, resting in this conscious awareness is what I refer to, Ajahn Sumedho, as coming home, or our real home. So just put in simple terms, when we notice this whole Sakaya Ditti, personality view, identity view, arising in a moment, or we wake up and it's well arisen, instead of getting into, oh my God, and me, and this and that, and I've got to change my personality, and then I'll be better, that's the same thing. Just that Tai Chi move of recognizing, as soon as you see all that personality stuff, just the recognition of it is mindfulness. It's awareness. So he's saying, you don't have to get rid of it even. Just let your refuge shift to the mindfulness, to the awareness. And if that sounds too highfalutin, just appreciate the mindfulness in that moment. Mindfulness of Sakaya Ditti, fine. Mindfulness of the whole story of Carol and her whole life arising out of coldness, fine. I mean, it's a story just like any other story. We don't have to hate them. We don't have to take that one so seriously as me especially when you notice it changes 10,000 times a day. Like I said this at the three months, I just had remembered it then I'd forgotten. Quite some years ago, I was doing uh, several, a couple months retreat. And, uh, you know, I, I can't remember what kind of retreat, but anyway, I was doing retreat, you know, and you know, how, you know how the story of you just keeps going and going, even when it doesn't spring up with cold, say, just that commenting, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that, now I'm walking well, now I'm walking badly, now I'm going to do this, then, you know, just blah, 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 until it comes up stronger. And then your whole past and future. But I had um, happened to see a movie just before I came on the retreat. I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience, but whatever movie or song or whatever you might have had the misfortune to listen to or watch before retreat. Let's hope you liked it because you're going to see it and hear it again for quite a while. So I had watched The Fugitive with Harrison Ford, this kind of thriller. And after some weeks on the retreat, 
And this fugitive would come, and I'd notice it, and then go on, and Carol's story. And then after a while, I realized they were exactly the same. I mean, the stories were different. But the quality, the fugitive story would start, he'd come in image, there'd be Harrison Ford, there'd be the emotions, the music, and, and that would go on for a while. The reactions in my mind would go on, and that would stop. Then, you know, practice, practice. Then Carol would come up, and oh my God, and why is this, and blah, 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 and that would go on for a while, and the emotions and the thoughts, then that would stop. And after a while, I realized they were exactly the same process. Exactly. I'm not, this isn't a metaphor. Exactly the same process. And it was really quite uh, funny, you know. And the Carol story, really, it's pretty boring, isn't it? You're, I mean, you know my Carol story is boring. But I, your own stories, this isn't anything you say to me in interviews. I'm not commenting on my discussions with you in interviews. But really, isn't most of your own story pretty boring? I mean, over and over and over. So the fugitive was actually a little bit better, you know, a little bit more exciting. But it's really on that level. This is what we call Sakaya Ditti. And this is the whole, you know, sense of personality view. Ajahn Sumit, yeah, Ajahn Sumit says again something interesting about it. Again, talking about personality view. And then I'll talk about the, like the kind of the step underneath it that starts the sense of self um, in a moment. But he talked about one time when we were, uh, some teachers were meeting with him. And he was talking about teaching, and he taught, you know, 20, 30 years. He taught a lot in Thailand uh, to Thai people, and he speaks Thai. And then he was living in England and taught a lot to Westerners. So he said at this point, and uh, maybe he would have changed his mind, he felt that the biggest hindrance for Western um, practitioners and meditators is a kind of self-doubt regarding um, their own insight into awareness a self-doubt into the, the liberating experiences that Westerners have in, with awareness. And not like, you know, men, not the big bang, everything's over. Quit looking for that. But just moments when the example I just gave of, oh, that's Sakaya Ditti. An awareness of that is really quite liberating. You don't have to stop it. You just shift the refuge. And he says, Westerners have so much doubt self-doubt about their own insights into awareness. And he said, this is his opinion, he believes that's partially because our personalities are so strong and our belief in and our reliance on our personalities is so strong. So we, uh, the personality, he says, is so often our reference point. And think about it. When you're having doubt, how often it will, I couldn't really do this. You know, I couldn't because of past history or whatever, but it's really coming, or there was a moment where it really seemed whatever. You really got it, that there's nobody here doing it, that it's just so simple. There was really like a taste of freedom. And then, you know, the next day or the next year, well, that couldn't have really happened. It must have been, you know, something I read because clearly here I am with my personality and it's still so steady. There's no way I could step outside of it. We just so believe it. We use it as our reference point. So he says we keep getting caught back into our personality. If it's a choice, basically, saying between really having confidence in awareness and having confidence in our limited personality, nine times out of 10, we go for the personality. 
It's just what we really believe. So I just think that's interesting. I'm just throwing that out as something to chew on. I'm not saying for sure if it's true or not, but I think it's very interesting. So the Sakaya Ditti in some ways is the, the easier part of sense of self to notice when it's arising and how it's created. I mean, easy just because it's a bit more obvious. Huh? But again, if we want to really explore for each of us the sense of self, just to get interested in exploring it, we can go back to something that Ajahn Buddhadasa says over and over. He said that the sense of self is merely a condition that arises when there is grasping and clinging in the mind. That's it. Merely a condition that arises when there's grasping and clinging in the mind. I have a friend who said that translates to, I want, I need, therefore I am. And so just this little, the sense of clinging can be really strong, but the much more subtle clinging that can arise around any sense experience, just the little contraction of clinging, of wanting. And it can be quite subtle, and from that, it can be like, this is my experience. This is my unpleasant feeling, the cold weather. This is my thought. I am this thought. I am this feeling. I mean, it's not, it's not telegraphed so clearly as that. Just kind of a little contraction around it. If I go outside and there's a contraction of cold and it's unpleasant, it's not so clear. I can say it in retrospect. It's unpleasant. I'm like, oh, I don't like that unpleasant. Right there, there's the contraction, the clinging to the unpleasant as mine, as me. And then from that, the aversion and the whole Sakaya Ditti starts. There's other times I can go outside. You get it that I don't like the cold, right? I can go outside and it's cold. Just see it and it's just, it's just cold. It's just cold. There's nothing else about it. There's not a sense of meing or myeing about it. It's not a sense of liking or just what it is. It's just not a problem. It's just nothing because there's nothing to compare it to. There's not this little sense of clinging that creates a sense of self. So merely a condition that arises and passes. This is, of course, the whole dependent origination, which I'm not about to try and explain the whole thing right now. But to say it very briefly and succinctly, the chain of 12 links that the Buddha described over and over of when there's not wisdom in the mind, when there's ignorance, and there's not clear seeing how um, ignorance, um, I won't go through the whole thing, but ignorance, the, the ones we can see the easiest, are the mind and matter leads to contact. That moment of sense experience, feeling, say it's uh, coolness, say it's stay with the cold. The body that can feel and consciousness that's aware. When those three come together, that's called contact. Any sense experience we have, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, feeling, thinking. So every second, you know, some sense contact is arising and consciousness is recognizing that. Mindfulness is recognizing that recognition. But contact, right away there's a feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The mind feels that contact is that not recognized, not recognized that often leads into tanha, this kind of thirst, this either leaning into the pleasant or pushing away the unpleasant. And this is all really fast. 
And then it goes on to that leaning into creates a kind of grasping, grasping to hold on to something, grasping to push it away. This is still really fast. And that grasping leads to, in terms of the dependent origination, it goes into bhava, which is having and being, into birth, into sickness, old age, and death. That can be thought of as lifetimes. But the way I want to talk about it, and I'm coming from Buddha Dasa again here, where he's talking very specifically about this exploring how the sense of self is merely a condition arising when there's grasping and clinging in the mind. It takes all the personal out of it. It takes all the problem out of it. It's a condition arising like everything. We can just explore it. So he describes contact, feeling tone, vagueness, say pleasant, the tanha, the leaning into, and then he calls the grasping, the feeling, he calls it Buddha Dasa, the feeling of I and mine. And the feeling of I and mine leads to bhava, which he calls having and being. And you see we're getting more and more real, and then becomes birth, jati birth, birth of sense of self. So give you a very, and then sickness, old age, and death, and then death of that sense of self. Thousands of times a day. So I'll give you a very simple example. Oh, I have here from a long time ago, but anyway. I was on a retreat, went into an IMS, a retreat center, I mean. This is also IMS, the retreat center. And we used to have, where you go to take the mugs, we used to have, back in the good old days, all different kinds of mugs. Any kind of mug people had bought and they'd left here. And we loved all those old mugs. And now they're all exactly the same and green. But anyway, there were all these different mugs. So I would come in, I'd get a mug in the different size, you know, different things. So I'd come in, get a mug, just go have my tea and go. And I was, I think, a little bit proud that I wasn't getting caught in it at all. And then one day I came in and grabbed a mug. And as I was getting my tea, I thought, wow, this mug is just really feels perfect on my hand. I love this mug, you know. And it's like, I want to use this mug. And right then, that was the contact. It was pleasant. The feeling, it moved to grasping. And right away, the sense of having and being, you know. I have this mug, and I'm becoming someone who wants this mug. It was birth of sense of self right then, me and my mug. Just a little thing. Just a little thing. It's not like something we hate, but to really feel it. The difference between I come in, get a mug, have my tea go, and come, oh, this mug, how can I keep it? Should I get, no, okay, never mind. Put it back. I'm not going to keep it. Put it down. And then I walked away, and it was all gone. Death of that sense of self. It's just a little. Next time I came in, though, I sort of looked for that mug, and it was there. And I, this whole thing, I mean, it started already. The whole thing was there, the sense of self. See, it's not a horrible thing, but it complicates everything. So there was the birth of self as soon as I saw that mug that time. And I picked it up, and I sat down, and then I really started, how can I save it? This time, I'll take it back to my room. I mean, there's plenty of mugs. I know other people save, and on and on. And then I started thinking about it. Well, what does that mean? That means every time I want tea, I have to go all the way to my room, clear on the other side, and I'm walking really slow, so that's like an extra hour. Every time I want to have it's crazy. Okay, put it back, put it down. And that time, it really died, stayed died, because it was just too complicated. But that's a simple example. That's the whole dependent origination right there. And it's fast, as Ajahn Chah described it once. I love this. He said, the dependent origination 
is like, there's like falling out of a tree. You're at the top of a tree and you fall down and there all the 12 links of the dependent origination are like 12 branches on that tree and you fall down, whoop, and you go past them really fast and just hit the ground. You know, you don't like get to stop and go, oh, that's, that's contact, that's feeling, that's tanha, that's upadana. But sometimes it does slow down in retreat. That's one of the interesting things. But mostly it's like, oh, how can I save this mug? You know, and you didn't quite see the whole thing going. Wow, you just hit the bottom. You're in dukkha. <laughs> You're in. But then the sense of self dies, and it's gone. So the magic trick is seen through at that point. And it's if you can just get interested in exploring it rather than hating or fearing it, it just really gets quite interesting. It gets quite interesting. It starts to lose its, its um, magical power. Oh my God, the sense of self again with this mug and I'm suffering. What can I do? And uh, nah, nah. Instead of putting it down and walking away and noticing, wait, that, that self just died. It's gone now. And again, this is from Ajahn Buddhadasa. He, he talks about shunyata, emptiness. In the translation from um, Santikaro, he translates shunyata as voidness, which sounds, I don't know, it just sounds strange to us, but to me, okay, it sounds strange to me. But he's talking about one way he's using shunyata, or voidness, is that in this way of anatta, that all phenomena, all phenomena, not just me and you, all phenomena are empty of intrinsic lasting sense of self. They're all void, empty in that way. That's how it is, not somewhere we have to get to. And so he talks a lot about not only noticing this birth and death of self, how that, what conditions cause it to arise, what conditions change cause it to die, and that's fascinating to see. But also to notice, as he says, there are many, many moments in a day. Do I have the exact quote? Because there are many, many moments in a day when there is no sense of self at that moment. There are voids. He talks about many moments that are empty in that way of being empty of a sense of self. And he talks about how important it is to notice these many moments of emptiness and to generate, this is his language, generate a contentment with voidness. Generate a contentment when there's not this birth and death of self, when there's not this strong sense of personality view. And I think that's very interesting advice because often there's a time a couple weeks ago, it's not happening here, but it's not happening so much now, where it was kind of a phase where a lot of you were coming in, you who were here then, and just saying, nothing's happening, it's either boring or too dull or calm, or some people even reported they noticed their minds kind of going and bringing up um, angry memories so they'd have something to work on or bringing up some kind of unpleasant, difficult past, sort of like you know, bringing up the fugitive so you'd have something to chew over. You know? Instead of generating a contentment with those moments when there's no big sense of me. I've seen it in myself how often the mind jumps to a suffering scenario 
because the sense of self is there. Just that, uh, and, and you look around, what is that sense of self? It's just this little contraction, just this little moment of clinging around a sense experience, around a thought, around a feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, just uh, like this. But it's so, it, it seems gross, but often when we look, it's very quick and very subtle. But I've, I keep seeing this over and over in my practice, in my life, the more subtle are the, are, are the ones that are harder to see that are really driving the bus, you know? The big ones, they cause suffering. You know, this big personality view and we're all caught in it and I'm no good and I mean, yeah, we're caught in it. But it's not really unobserved. We do notice it's there, even if we believe it. It's easier to observe. But I've noticed like this sense of generating a contentment with voidness at times when you just, that sense of self dies and no other sense of self arises. Sometimes that's lovely. And I know you all know that. We're just present with the isness of things, that, that place of no problem, as one of my friends says. You're quite awake. Things are just so simple. I think, what's the problem with that? Nothing. But there's other times when the mind is just a, not quite so awake. And there's not a sense of self that's a little bit like it's calm. The mind's maybe a little bit dull or a little bit like, what now? You know, sometimes when that sense of emptiness opens into fear. I think uh, where Stephen Batchelor, oh, I don't have the quotation here, but saying, you know, the, the sense of emptiness isn't just this sense of beautiful oceanic bliss. You know, emptiness in the big picture is a falling apart of all of our strategies for self-congratulation and self-protection and how we go through the world. All those strategies fall apart. Sometimes that brings up a little bit of fear. But sometimes this sense of this contentment with voidness is just nothing special. And I've seen, that's what I was saying so often, just this subtle like clinging, the sense of just that contraction of me, even around some stupid, unpleasant, or difficult story. It's as if, it's almost as if it's just cozier to have this sense of me. It's so, and sense of me is even strong. It's just, uh. A little, oh, that's the best I can describe it. But it's almost like putting on, you know, an old, cozy, fuzzy bathrobe that you just feel comfortable in, you know, and without it. There's nothing here. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not really doing it right. I feel so much better now. I'm familiar. I know where to go from that. But this, what? Oh, there's no one here who's doing, oh, okay, I'm afraid. Okay, that's better. I could put back on my cozy bathrobe. It's really interesting. I mean, to me, you guys might think I'm loony, so you look and see for yourself. But as he says, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, many, many, many times a day, there's also this experience of voidness, this kind of emptiness that's empty of sense of self. So start to notice it. Not me looking for it, right? That's wanting. Just moments of neutral, moments of uh, space, don't make a space, but just moments of space between activities. Or notice how if you're sitting and the thought ends and the mind says, get back on the breath, quick, before something else happens. You know, God forbid there should be a space. Or you finish an activity and immediately we have to do another activity. I notice this in my daily life. When I'm busy, 
working and I finish you know, doing something on the computer, and it's like I have to jump up and do something else right away. And I'm not even like a particularly energetic person, but I can't just like sit down and be for a moment. I've got to like do this, do this, do this, do this. That sense of just notice the space. Notice if there's space between thoughts. Notice if there's space between breaths. Finish eating, and before you jump up from your eating and go do your walking, just be with the stillness. Just start to notice when there's nothing special going on. You don't have to dull out. You don't have to space out. You don't have to create something to feel like I'm doing it. Just start to incline towards the voidness. And then when the sense of self arises around the next thing to do or the mug or whatever it is, Instead of recoiling, just notice that's the next arising condition. Fine. It might be a sound, or it might be the sense of self, or it might be a smell. What's the difference? Just notice it arising. Buddhadasa, again, normally we don't notice these moments of shunyata, of voidness, because we're so involved with experience and concocting conceptual thoughts. And we do. That's part of what... Um, Semedo said we get pulled back into the personality, the experience, the conceptual thoughts. But here, don't hate the thoughts, just shift to awareness of the concocting. Oh, yeah, look at that, making up a whole story. Oh, yeah, it's like that. Personality views like this, the story's like that. We don't have to make anything be different. Just bring in interest that quality of what's happening now, that confidence in trusting the mindfulness, in trusting the awareness, and the truth of things will unreveal, unravel by itself. You're not here to create no self. (laughs) Impossible. You're not here to discover some other world. It will reveal itself. The misperception is seen through with the steadiness of awareness, with the steadiness of mindfulness. Reality doesn't change. And even our personality, it may change a little bit, but mostly it doesn't seem like our personalities change a whole lot. And that's not what it's about. It's about just honing the mindfulness, the awareness, and trusting it to the point where we see through the whole show. The sense of self, that subtle little clinging around any experience, a little craving, or the whole full-blown story, we just see it as appearances arising and passing, just like any other experience that arises and passes. And in those moments where it's void of self, as Buddhadasa said, but also quite awake, like as someone was saying in an interview today, it's just so simple. Things just arising and passing. It's so simple, I like to say, that we can't stand it. The mind that wants to think about stuff says, how can you function like this? But this is from the Buddha. I really like this. I hope it makes sense. He's talking about how his, things are in his mind. He says, thus bhikkhus, the tathagata, that means himself, does not conceive of a visible thing apart from sight. In other words, there's just sight. Doesn't conceive of a visible thing as apart from sight. He does not conceive of something that's unseen. 
He does not conceive of a thing to be seen. He does not conceive about a seer. You get that? So in, apart from sight, there's not a thought, there's not a concept about that object is being seen. This seer is seeing that object. There's other things that aren't being seen. He's not conceiving about anything, just seeing. There's just seeing. Not he seeing. There's just seeing. Similar for hearing, for cognition. He does not conceive about one who cognizes. Thus, bhikkhus, the Tathagata being suchlike in regard to all phenomenon seen, heard, sensed, and cognized, is just thus. Just thus, nothing else, like that Bahia Sutta. In the scene, there's only the scene. Let me read you a, something from, I think it's from Adi Ashanti, but it's similar. Self-referencing is the mind's tendency to locate itself. So when it is realized that there is no self apart from the perceiving, then the tendency to try to find oneself in any experience, insight, or concept ceases. We don't make it cease. It's just like when we see clearly, the concept about someone seeing that ceases. What I'm talking about is a condition where the mind has no compulsive need to understand in terms of ideas, concepts, and beliefs. A condition where you are no longer referencing the mind, feelings, or emotions for security in any way. No compulsive need to understand. Things are just as they are. And it's so simple. And there's moments we all know that. And that's the sense of emptiness. And then Buddha Dasa talked about emptiness in another way, too. He talked about two kinds of shunyata. So the first one I mentioned, that the second kind of shunyata, the second meaning of shunyata is the mind, it points to the quality of the mind when it isn't grasping and clinging at anything. The character of the mind when it isn't attaching to anything is called voidness also. So the first meaning of shinyata points out that all things are void, all phenomena are void of intrinsic self-existence. That voidness is the inherent characteristic of all things. The second meaning points to the mind that isn't grasping or clinging at anything. So in a way, the closest we can get an easy way to access this is through that sense of simple, pure mindfulness, simple, pure awareness. In that moment when it moves from, oh, and me, and this, to oh, it's like that, is a movement into the intimation of that quality of mind or heart that isn't clinging to anything. Rather than trusting the story, just start to recognize that. That's another kind of contentment with voidness that we can generate, that we can pay attention to. And it doesn't lead to annihilation, doesn't lead to non-functionality, it doesn't lead to a disconnected who cares about anything. I think you all know that. So I'll just close with a couple of short readings you've probably heard. One is a description of a 
Japanese nun, said, Tagitsu, that was her name, Tagitsu saw that arising arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew that there was nothing more than this, no ground, nothing to lean on, stronger than the cane she held, nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. And falling into the midst of everything doesn't mean you don't care. This is from Padampa Sangye. Once you realize emptiness, or when you realize emptiness, it is absurd, it would be absurd to do anything harmful. When you realize emptiness, compassion arises with it simultaneously. And this end with this from Nisargadatta. Once you say with confidence, born from direct experience, I am the world, the world is myself, falling into the midst of everything. You are free from desire and fear on the one hand and become totally responsible for the world on the other. The senseless sorrow of humankind becomes your sole concern. So let's just sit for a moment and generate a contentment with voidness or recognize non-voidness with contentment, as the case may be. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.